Welcome to our Lead to Succeed podcast, where we share leadership and business growth insights, both from our own experiences and that of our guests. We're the hosts. I'm Rebecca Jenkins, founder of Argen, helping companies to grow by finding, gaining and growing the best clients. And I'm Callum, sharing my perspectives from both being an entrepreneur and working in a variety of different companies. Whether you lead a team or a business, you'll find practical tips, inspirational insights and ideas as we discuss a wide range of leadership topics. So with that, here's today's episode. Hi everyone, we are delighted to have Matt Schlegel with us today. Now Matt has a really interesting background to share with us. He is an author and he is passionate about working with leaders and teams to improve their performance, but it all starts with them being very self-aware. So Matt, a big welcome to you. Thank you very much for joining us today on our podcast. Please, please, thank you. You're in the States. Um, Please do a brief intro. All right. Well, um, thanks again for um, having me speak today. I'm I'm just so delighted to be here. Um, Yeah, you know, I um, started out um, as an engineering, uh, an engineer. And, you know, at some point my boss came to me and said, hey, Matt, um, we we want you to become a manager, and I'm like, why do you want me to become a manager? I I don't know anything about managing people. I only know about leading electrons. And uh, my boss said, don't worry, you'll be fine. Well, I wasn't fine. I was worried, and I started to you know study everything I could get my hands on in terms of leadership tools and books and and. Um, and as I um, went through that journey, I discovered this tool called the Enneagram. And, um, and being the engineer that I am, you know, I like to take things apart and put it back together and see how it works. And you know, no matter how much I sliced and diced and dissected the Enneagram, it just really held up as a very robust system, which appealed to my engineering senses and I started using it both um, as a tool for personal self-awareness, and then I started to use it as a tool for helping me better communicate with my team and getting my team to um, work better together. And um, and you know, so it it was a, it's a fantastic journey, and um, and it's such a powerful tool, which is why I ended up writing a book about. Um, my experiences and sharing that with other leaders and aspiring leaders to to help them you know on their journey to becoming you know a self-aware team leader let's hear a little bit more about Enneagram and exactly what it is so um, I'm familiar with DISC Harrison Assessments and Myers-Briggs so can you give us some context of where that sits in amongst those and really, right. we're talking about kind of understanding personality types, maybe, but maybe it's more than that. Right, right. So, yes, yeah, so there are many um, tools out there to help teams, um, you know, become self-aware. Now, you know, a lot of these tools, um, l- l- let me just use DISC as an example, you know, I, when you're working with a team, you know, one of the things that you just want teams to come away with 
is an understanding that not everybody thinks the way that you do. That um, other people have different approaches and different perspectives and they're not wrong, you know, and your, your way of looking at the world isn't the only and right way to look at the world. And let's have an understanding of the value that each of these perspectives brings to teams and to teamwork. And by having that understanding, you build more trust in your team and you build, um, you know, just, a, you know, more cooperation and you lower some of the conflicts that can arise. And you can, you can get, you know, it's the 80-20 rule, right? With a tool like DISC, you can get 80% of the way there um, and have your team come to that understanding. But where I would differentiate, say, the Enneagram with DISC is that if you're the leader of a team and you really want to understand how, you know, not only you work and, you know, what is your underlying motivation, but that of your, your teammates, then a tool like uh, the Enneagram kind of gets down to that next layer of understanding. And that's the, one of the things that I really liked about the Enneagram is that it, it really speaks to underlying motivations. So if I'm working with a teammate, you know, and I'm saying, if I understand that the way I personally am motivated is not necessarily the same way that my teammate is motivated, then when I'm working with them, I can frame the activity more in alignment with how they're motivated so that they under, come to an understanding of how this is contributing to the success and effectiveness of the overall team. And so, so that's, that's, I'd say, one of the big differentiators for me between Enneagram and many of the other systems. I am fascinated by this, Matt. So how does it actually bring out your underlying motivational factors? And could you give us some examples, maybe share your own perhaps, of, of how it gets to the root of that? Because right. I think many people aren't really sure what motivates them. So how does it, how does it bring that out? Right, right. So the, um, so the, the Enneagram, the Enneagram has nine different types. And you can think about it in terms of three groups of three. And the, it says that there's the gut people, there's the heart people, and the head people. And you can kind of, you know, use that as the starting point, right? So some people are starting with thoughts or in their head. Some people are starting with their feelings or their heart, their relationship of feelings with other people. And then other people are, are starting with their instincts. It's like their gut instincts. So those are, the, those are the three different starting points that the Enneagram speaks to. And so once you um, know, you know what your Enneagram type is, you will know where your starting point is. So for instance, my starting point is in my head. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking all the time, thinking, thinking, thinking. And you know, for, for people who know the Enneagram, uh, you know, I'm, I'm an Enneagram type six. 
and for the the thinking people um, you know which are the it's the five six and seven those types the underlying issue is anxiety and so you know that's kind of our you know our main motivating force and it doesn't mean we don't have access to feelings or instincts it's just that's kind of the starting point and you know and as I started to use the Enneagram and I understood that I'm a type six then I had this greater self-awareness of you know how anxiety was playing into you know my thoughts my actions um, my approach to life and um, and and once you have that level of understanding of how this you know overriding influence is affecting you and you have a name for it then you could start to work with it and you can start to say well you know where is this benefiting me and where is it hindering me and how can I how can I use the you know the good aspects of it and then start to minimize the the more negative sides of it and and so just having that self-awareness just allows you to to really start to work on some of these dimensions that allow you to become a more effective leader now I'm talking about the story of the type six but each one of those nine types has a different starting point each one of them has you know a superpower strength but also it has some aspects that are holding that type back and once you you know have that understanding of that dynamic within yourself then you can work on it and just become that much better of a leader and I think that's you know that's the the journey that I encourage all leaders to embark on and I think the Enneagram is a great tool for that well I've got uh, a question around maybe you know imagine that you know I've got a team of 20 they all go through the um, or they all go through this process yeah. uh, or they take this assessment rather it's not a process I guess but um and do I then or would any leader then know that all the certain types may be prone to anxiety because how would I how would a leader deal with that does that is that shared with the leader right so you know one I mean once um if so like if you if you use the Enneagram with your team and you know and I've done this number of times right yeah. you know so so one of the you know the best things that comes out of it is that it gives everybody a vocabulary to talk about these dynamics that are happening in the team right so so that far and away you know when working with teams is the the biggest takeaway because then now people know how to talk about that oh you're you're being you know such a type one right now or you know you know oh I, I I can see why you want to do that because that's what a type five would want to do um, is is that the right thing to do right now you know and you know so you can um, use the Enneagram in that way to just you know have everybody understand you know what the the their teammates dynamics are but then also have that that vocabulary that allows people to address you know 
conflicts when they come up and gives them a vocabulary to kind of get at what's under underlying that. So just as an example, I'm, I'm a type six and my brain lives in the future. I am always in the future. I'm just thinking about the future. What if this happens? What if that happens? And, um, but not everybody lives in the future. A lot of people are really good at living in the present. And some people actually are better at living in the past mm -hmm. and they're kind of living in their feelings, right? And, and so, you know, once you understand, you know, that dynamic, then you can watch people have conversations. One person is, you know, talking about something in the past. One person is talking about something in the future. They're just completely talking past each other. They're not, they're not meeting at all. And, and, and so once you understand that, oh, they're talking about different points in time and then getting them to say, well, let's, let's come together here and just talk about the present, then they're like start to see eye to eye. So there's, there's a lot of um, different aspects of the Enneagram that come into play, especially in the dynamics and the relationships between different types. Could you share some examples, Matt, where you've worked in businesses where this has been very powerful and, and kind of what results um, teams have got um, through going through the Enneagram process? Right, right. So, you know, there, what we've been talking about um, is using the Enneagram as more a personality system and a, a tool for people to understand each other and have those conversations. And, um, and, and that's you know, a fantastic use for the Enneagram and, and, the, and the dominant um, use of the Enneagram. It's actually not the way that I generally use the Enneagram. I use it in a different way. And, um, and this is one of the epiphanies that I had with the Enneagram. If you look at the Enneagram diagram, it's a circle with a bunch of numbers around it. And I was thinking when I saw this, it kind of looks like a clock, right? If you, if you remove all the lines from the middle, it's just a circle with numbers around it. And, and that got me thinking that, why are the Enneagram types numbers? And it occurred to me that each one of the Enneagram dynamics is a, a dynamic that plays into human problem solving. And the Enneagram describes the exact order in which humans solve problems. Now, you know, I'm an engineer and I love solving problems. You know, it could be technical problems, but now it's much more fascinating to me to solve team problems. So now I have this framework that describes how teams move through problem solving and I facilitate teams to move through problem solving in the order described by the Enneagram. Oh, that's and very interesting. It is just amazing how effective teams can be when they systematically you know, use that approach and move around the circle through problem solving. Now, that you know, do you actually need to know the Enneagram dynamics to do that? 
you actually don't. You can just move around and just you know get the team into this is the dynamic of type one. This is what we're going to do today. Type type one is the the type that says, hey, that's not right. It shouldn't be like that. It should be like this, right? And their instincts are telling them this isn't right. Well, what's the first step in problem solving? Hey, that's not right. There's a problem here. It shouldn't be like that. It should be like this, right? So that so that's how you know that dynamic is the first step in problem solving and on around the circle but you can if you're a facilitator you can say well this is the 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 sequence of steps we're going to go through and and today we're going to be doing you know we're going to examine the problem we're going to look at the problem and we're going to look at how you know it shouldn't be that's the problem and then flip that that coin on the other side and say well how should it be? What would you like to see the world look like in uh, the world where there isn't a problem? And that, that's the dynamic of type one, and that's how I use it with teams as I move them through the, each step in problem solving. Okay, so do you, do you recommend then that a very successful team will have a mix of all of these different personality traits? Well, so... Um, it's exceedingly rare that that mm -hmm. happens. Exceedingly rare for a number of reasons, right? And, and you know them, right? People hire people like themselves, and so you end up with very lopsided teams. Um, you know, and and this is another way to use the enneagram. It's like if I want to be an effective problem-solving, you know, you know, team, then how do I balance my team? And, you know, when I talk about this in my book, Teamwork 9.0, is, you know, how to diagnose your team and then how to balance it. I also talk about how each type has a more or less ease of access to the other types. So, for instance, as a type 6, you know, I have pretty easy access to the types on either side of me, the 5 and the 7. I also have pretty easy access to um, types uh, three and nine. Um, and then I start to have harder you know, time accessing some of those other numbers. So if I have teammates that can complement me in those other dynamics, and then, you know, and so even if we don't have a team with every single type, just because of our, um, ability to access some of the other types, we can create a complementary team with far fewer than nine types. And, okay. and, you know, and, and, I, and I talk about, you know, for instance, there's these um, three balanced teams, the one, the four, and the seven, the two, the five, and the eight, and the three, the six, and the nine. And each one of those teams of three people essentially have pretty ease of access to all the dynamics and the curious thing about this Rebecca is that in companies when I go in I see this all the time I see the three the six and the nine come together and work together I see the two the five and the eight work together I see the one the four and the seven work together it's 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 just like organic and natural that those teams coalesce to work together and and it's because they form these very complementary teams Okay, so when you say have access to those numbers, do you mean 
I'm reading that as relate better to those numbers. Is that what you mean? I'm, and, um, not, that's not exactly what I mean. It's, no. it's as we're working through problem solving, um, there's different dynamics that come into play. And, um, and you know, and we, and, and the Enneagram says there's nine distinct dynamics in problem solving. Now, if I'm a type six, of course, I have very easy access to type six. But I'm, you know, how, what's my ability then to access those other types? So that's what I'm talking about when I say access to that dynamic. Oh, I understand. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying during problem solving, when you need to do this one particular activity, am I very good at doing it or do I need to bring in somebody else who's much better at that? Okay. I think if people are really interested in what you've got to say, they can go to your website, can't they? And kind of do a bit of a, get, take an assessment themselves. I, yes, I do. I have an assessment um, available on my website. It's a complimentary assessment that they can access. And um, the, the website is evolutionaryteams, all one word, dot com. And, um, and the, the um, survey can also be accessed at enneasurvey.com. So E-N-N-E-A-S-U-R-V-E-Y.com. In either of those ways, you can get to uh, a complimentary test that will let you know, it kind of starts you on that journey to understand what your um, dominant you know, strategy, Enneagram strategy is, Enneagram yeah. dynamic. I think, I mean, that's, that's great because there's a lot more to this than we can cover in this conversation. But Matt, sure is. <laughs> you've written a whole book on it, for instance. Yes. And, I, um, and even I, I, I only feel like I'm scratching the surface. I am discovering new things about it every day. Well, that's fantastic. And Matt, um, could you give us an example um, where some real practical tips maybe that our listeners could one they could go and take an assessment but what else would you suggest that they might do to kind of really get teams working together highly productively and in a very um, coordinated and, and effective way what what practical um, tips might you give right you know so so i you know i would say to any um leader or aspiring leader is to work on your own self-awareness uh, start there and um, you know and there's a lot of different tools um, for for doing that you know I, we've been talking about the Enneagram I, I just think that the the Enneagram is one of the best tools especially for leaders you know because it's um, you know, it's a little more complicated than some of the other systems, but it really is worth the, the extra effort for leaders who not only want to understand themselves, but want to understand the underlying motivations of their teammates. Because, you know, as a leader, one, we want to understand, hey, what are we good at, you know, and what are we not good at? And you know where you know can I complement myself with 
um, you know, other people with different dynamics to make us all a much more effective, powerful team. So, you know, that's, that's one way of, 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 of using this. And then, you know, once you start to understand your own dynamic and you start to appreciate the dynamics of your teammates and the underlying motivations of your teammates, then it helps you to have deeper and more meaningful conversations with your teammates. And that, you know, you know, for, 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 for people on your team, one, they're going to really appreciate that you understand them, you know, yeah. and, you know, at a very profound level. And it will also allow you to just build more trust with the people on your team, which is the basis for, uh, you know, a lot of the interactions. Because, you know, a lot of times, you know, if you don't have that underlying trust and a conflict arises, you know, people might, you know, their brains might go to, you know, what are their intentions? Why are they doing that? You know, that just doesn't seem right. But if, you, if you've established the trust and you um, understand the underlying motivations, then it just becomes, oh, they're doing that because of that. Uh, I get it. I get it. Let's go have a conversation. We can, we can fix this. It's no big deal. And it just, it, you know, it makes, makes those conversations so much um, easier when you have that vocabulary to really, you know, talk about the, the, the issues and work through the conflict with your teammates. I can so those imagine would be my recommendations. I know. No, that's no, I, I think that's um, a great recommendation, and I, I think what that would enable to happen, which is some of the key themes that have come from from leaders we we talk um, with on the podcast, it increases emotional intelligence and authenticity, and when people feel they're understood, they have a, a place of psychological safety and they're going to be able to come up with new ideas and it will encourage innovation so all those things that the leaders we have on this podcast are talking about that are essential to great leadership I can imagine how all of that just provides that awareness and improves all of those aspects precisely precisely I I couldn't have said it better myself thank you (laughs) Well, um, we are, I can't believe where time has gone. You know, we are already 36 minutes into uh, into this. And I guess we ought to kind of wrap up at some point, which we, um, are there any closing um, feedback or thoughts really that you would like to leave with our audience? We've talked about where they can go to take a complimentary assessment, but is there anything else that you would like to share in terms as we wrap up the podcast? Right, you know, so here, here's the one piece of advice I give for people when, when they are starting on this journey is that uh, when you take the assessment, um, you're going to score highly on two or three types and low on other types. And use this as a process of elimination. You know, take, you, know, you don't take just the highest scoring one, take the highest two or three and then start to um, you know, read through the underlying motivations of the, the different types and start to think about, okay, well, am, 
am, is my starting place in my head? Is it in my heart? Is it in my gut? Um, you know, what, what, what is that underlying motivation? And then that will allow you to better get to which of those high scoring types is really your starting point dynamic. And, you know, and don't worry, you know, we're, you know, it's not putting you in a box or anything like that because we all do have access to, you know, all the different dynamics, but we're, we're tending to, you know, have a starting point. It's like being right and left-handed, you know, I'm right-handed. I start with my right hand. It doesn't mean I don't have a left hand. I have a left hand. I use it all the time, but I usually start with my right hand look at the Enneagram the same way and just find that your dominant starting point. Yes. And then from there you can, you can work out. And that makes um, a lot of sense. It's our dominant, more prominent, um, I don't know, behaviors, I guess, or personality traits. Right. Yeah. Um, it's been really fascinating to understand that in more detail, Matt. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. Well, and we will make sure that we put the links in the show notes so people can go directly there to access and have a complimentary um, insights and awareness as to uh, where they are in, in the 12 different, 12 different categories. Yes. Well, thank yeah. you very much for the opportunity to share this with you today. I, I, it was a delight speaking with you. Likewise, Matt, very, very enjoyable and um, a key tool for leadership and development. So thank you very much indeed. Thank you for listening to our podcast. And as always, if you enjoyed it, we welcome a review. And if you have any questions and like to get in touch with us, you can do that at the rjen.co.uk website.